Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 35 of Beyond the Page, the podcast that goes a little deeper into some of the stories and columns in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of the magazine, and I'm joined today by one of our incredible columnists, Tim Morgan. Tim, of course, writes the Outside the Ropes column every month in the magazine and online, www.golfcourseindustry.com slash magazine. We're going to talk mostly about his September column, Job Hunting 101, what you need to know before you even send out your resume, much less show up to an interview. And we're going to talk about his August column, Firm and Fast, Gone at Last. Before any of that, though, a reminder that the whole golf course industry team has you covered however you consume your turf industry news. We publish a monthly magazine. It's free for anybody who works in the industry. You can sign up online if you don't already. It's also available online, www.golfcourseindustry.com magazine. We share the latest course news and industry buzz every weekday on our website, golfcourseindustry.com. We send out a weekly email newsletter, Fast and Firm. You can sign up for that on our website, too. We're active on Twitter. You can find the magazine at GCI Magazine. You can find Guy Cipriano, the editor-in-chief, at GCI Magazine Guy. And you can find me at Matt Lowell, M-A-T-T-L-A-W-E-L-L. We're also on Facebook. We're on TikTok. And we drop a new podcast just about every Tuesday, sometimes more than one a week wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, a quick word from CPRO, the proud sponsor of Beyond the Page. Turf plant growth regulators are a critical tool in keeping every course in top-notch condition. They not only help to reduce clippings on warm and cool season grasses throughout the season, but they also help manage and enhance POA annua to enhance the overall turf quality and conditions of the course. CPRO provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass, Legacy, and Musketeer to the golf industry, along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions. Their full lineup of products works hard to ensure that your course is consistently looking its best. Visit them at cpro.com to learn more. After the break, we go outside the ropes with Tim Morgan. Tim Morgan, welcome back to the podcast. Always great to have you. How are you doing? I am well, and I will tell you, please, to the audience, excuse my Don Corleone voice. Uh, it is the the glamour of travel, yet another head cold. Not a COVID, but a head cold. I don't know which is which anymore, but I apologize for the voiceover. Well, spoiler alert, don't stuff your mouth full of orange wedges and drop dead in a vineyard, and I think we'll all be good. Uh, I don't know if you're into the whole Netflix, Amazon, but if you haven't seen The Offer, uh, which is about the making of The Godfather, you need to see it. It is incredibly fun and good. And I laughed. I mean, it was just classic New York, New Jersey stuff. Loved it. <laughs> I have not. It's on my list. I just love that a minute into this, people come for turf talk, they come for job hunting talk, and you're giving them Netflix recommendations. Oh, it, yeah. Well, 
until the network television provides me with a better form of entertainment, we are all over whatever they call it, those Netflix Prime, I mean, Yellowstone, the Bosch. It's just awesome stuff. So, anyways. <laughs> well, we're going to talk mostly about your September column, Job Hunting 101, a little bit about your August column, Fast and Firm, gone for good. But job hunting season fast approaching in much of the country. No surprise, you are well ahead of the curve with a column that breaks down so many do's and don'ts. Very helpful. Uh, I don't know if there's a more helpful single page in any turf industry magazine this month. Uh, The first do that you list is be honest with yourself, with your family, with your club. And all your experience, Tim, helping place superintendents. How often are superintendents not really all the way honest in at least one of those three areas, with themselves, with their family, or with their club? Well, I will start with the club because that's a very dicey, very sensitive issue because a lot of clubs, especially the high-end clubs, well, I shouldn't say that. I apologize for being, for profiling, but I think a, a club who loves their staff does not want to hear that any particular member of their staff specifically, and most of the time the golf course superintendent has a desire to maybe work someplace else or have the need to move or would like to move or would want their career to be enhanced in one way, shape, or form because they fear if it gets out, they lose their job. And that, to me, is shame on the club because why can any of those individuals that are members or paying customers of a club can do whatever they want for their career, but somehow those of us in the turf business cannot. So the sensitivity of the club, I understand. I try to, when I'm fortunate enough to get a search, I tell the club and the candidates that I get this is extremely confidential to the point where many of the searches uh, that, that I've, I've helped, committees have dismissed a member because they talked to another club or they talked to the club that you work for, and that puts that person's job in jeopardy. So that's, that's sensitivity number one. You really have to be honest with yourself. And does your club encourage you to seek another opportunity, encourage you to be successful and move up the ladder or do something in your career and life goals that you want to accomplish? So uh, you have to really get a feel for that. And I don't know, you know, when I was at Golf House back in the days of the mothership, I didn't trust anybody because you didn't know what they were going to say behind your back. And I think that holds true with some of these clubs. Do you, you think you have a good relationship with your club president or your green chair or your general manager or a member, and then you said, you know, you're out on the golf course, and you pull up, and I said, Mr. Well, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? The next thing you know, you're jibber-jabbering off to the club president, and I'm out of a job. So that's area number one of sensitivity. And, and being honest, too, is, is, of course, you know, family. And, and next to God, family is the most important thing you got. So you have to be honest with your family, especially your children. Or, And I shouldn't say that either. I think both your, your spouse your significant other who also may have a very good job in the neighborhood that you're working in and may not want to leave their job or the kids, you know, especially if kids are in high school, freshman, sophomore, junior, man, they're looking toward their high school proms and social events and just being a teenager, sports, education, whatever it is, uh, they don't want to be pulled out of their, their area of expertise and friendship to go somewhere totally different than they may not want to even go to. So I think you have to begin with the family discussions and say, hey, listen, you know the kind of job I have. I want to make it better for us as a family unit or us as you know partners and say, 
you know, there's this, we're, we're living in, in Arizona and there's this job in North Carolina and I'm really interested in it, but it will be a dramatic lifestyle change. You know, I, I know one very good superintendent, a very high end club whose kids, they're very big into hockey. Well, you, you know, it's fortunately hockey spread around the country, but you, know, you still move from New Jersey to South Florida and think you're going to have the same kind of hockey program. And the kids have their friends and their teams and whatever. So I think you have to begin discussions first with your with your partner, your significant other, and determine, you know what, I mean, I love New Jersey, but you know what, Texas doesn't sound too bad. And then break it on to the kids. And then finally with yourself, because I think we all get comfortable at some point, and which is a sin, and that should never happen. Uh, you're only as good as your last day. And you think, okay, this is the GCSAA. What does the last A stand for? America. Well, you know, all for one and one for all, which that's going to be a column because I think that's a bunch of baloney. It's as cutthroat as it is out there. And, okay, I want to move from New Jersey to California. And the people in California are like, well, we don't want you. You're not one of us. You know, that whole stuff. So you have to be honest. Do I really want to go through that? I had a very dear friend that moved from one state to New Jersey and, and after a 20-year career, still had the feeling that he wasn't really accepted by the New Jersey crowd. So I think that bias needs to change, but you have to be honest with yourself. And do you have a strong enough personality to deal with that change of environment? And you wrote, I can't remember if it was last year or 2020 or maybe even 2019, about the absurdity of regional rivalries and whether a New Jersey guy fits in in Texas or a Texas guy fits in in South Florida or a Florida guy fits in in New Jersey. That's another great column, but that's still in full swing, it sounds like? Oh, God, yes. Okay. And, and I mean, we could we could name whatever region you want, and there's bias. But I will tell you, in one search I did in California, uh, one of the candidates was a California superintendent and basically, at the end of the interview, his interview said, I know all the other candidates, and, and no one can come here from out of state and grow grass in California unless you're from California. And I looked at the resume, and I, I said, Matt, it says here on your resume, you, you graduated from Penn State, you grew up in eastern Pennsylvania, and you fit pretty well in Southern California. Why can't somebody else? Surprise, surprise, you didn't have an answer for that one. So here I am again, out winning friends and influencing people. But I just don't think that's fair to the next superintendent. Like you say, someone who really wants that job, and you know, is then have have a committee be told that I'm the only one for the job because I know the local environment. There's always a learner. I don't care if you if you're in New Jersey, in North Jersey, and you take a job in South Jersey, you still got to learn the local environment, mm-hmm. the local vendor scenario, the members, the weather. Hell, you got to learn where to shop, where to go to school, and, and uh, things like that. You know, where to get a good coffee on the way to work. I mean, all these important things. It's not as simple as just popping the family up and moving down the road. It just doesn't work that way. So I think superintendents really have to be aware of what's out there and how do they address it. And they, they need to have – this is a – it's a totally different thought process if you're out of a job. And you lose your job for no reason other than some committee stupidity and doesn't really understand how hard of work that we actually do is, you know, then, then you're scrambling. But, you know, if you're sitting at home and at the end of a hard summer and you want to, you know, I want to try something different, you, can, you need to have a good heart-to-heart with yourself and your family. You called kids in the column, especially teenagers, the wild card in moving to a new club. And I, I know you're not a child psychologist. It's not on your resume. 
but just from your decades in the industry, what should superintendents do that might entice kids, especially teens, to to go along with them for the journey to to pack up and, and see a different part of the country maybe? Well, that's a great question because I don't have any teenagers running around my house. That's the first thing. So I, I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess, but I think the way society is going today with parent-child relations, I think you just have to be ultimately honest with your your children and try to say, hey, it may not appear this way. I mean, my, my father said it years, you know, 100 years ago. It's not going to make sense to you now. It will as you when you turn my age. And, of course, my dad was right, and, and that's the way it works. But I think you really have to kind of be open with your kids. Actually, if you go for an interview, the most important thing is to bring your wife and family with you if they can go so that they can see where you want to work and see if it's in their profile for living. It makes it a lot easier to explain. I can remember one search I did at a very prominent club. Great question by the committee person. Did your wife make the trip here? And the candidate said, no, um, she's at home. And that was a very big red flag for the committee. If this guy doesn't want to bring his wife and we give him the job and they move here, how unhappy is the spouse going to be, the significant other? And then will we have to go through this process again? I think honesty is always the best policy. I mean, every state in the union has got something fascinating to look forward to, stuff to do, educational opportunities. I mean, if you want to move to the mountains because you like skiing, then there's a lot of jobs that might be open in the mountains, and that's something you have to go look at. If folks take one thing from this episode, and we're not we're not done yet, but if folks take one thing from this episode, you go on an interview, bring your family. That's fantastic advice. And And make sure that... You know, whomever, male, female, whoever's doing the interview, the other one, just as a kind of a, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, a bonus, a kind of good sign for the committee. When you're interviewing, well, where's your where's your spouse? Well, he or she is out there looking at schools, looking at neighborhoods, looking at shopping malls and grocery stores, and comparing real estate prices, which indicates, hopefully, to the committee that, hey, I, we're really into this opportunity. We're, we're not taking it for granted, and this is what the other half is doing. I mean, that, that shows initiative. It shows the committee that you're sincerely interested in what's going on out there. Switching gears a bit, you opened the column with, and you always open with fire anecdotes and, and examples, but you open with a story about one superintendent. Superintendent will obviously remain nameless. The club will remain nameless for, for obvious reasons. You helped place them. And then they backed out after signing a contract. How often does that happen, Tim? And and the, the bigger question for a lot of folks, how much can that hurt a career? I imagine it's, it's almost a career ender. Well, it didn't do the guy any favors. I know that. Um, but again, I, I can't read between the lines with the dynamics of that person's family. But what I have a problem with, with was is that he indicated throughout the process that this was a really great job. Uh, the family would be real excited about coming to this area. I'd have freedom. I could do this. I could do that. And he came across and interviewed extremely well, provided the right answers, was very uh, knowledgeable. The, the, the guy's not a bad superintendent. He's not a bad person, okay? But in my opinion, why lead the committee on? 
And it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to call the wedding off before I even walk down the aisle. And then everybody gets upset that, you know what, in the long run, it's for the best of both. Uh, I think what bothers me is when you get the ring, walk down, down the aisle, consummate the process, and then several days later go, you know, I had a heart to heart with my family. We just can't do it. Well, wait a minute. What about all this stuff you told the committee? What about all this stuff you told me about how exciting this was, why we were doing it, looking forward to the opportunity to be a great change from where we're working now, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and just say, you know, the kids and the wife and whatever, they just want to move. Well, you could have told us that six weeks early mm-hmm. and taking just taking yourself out of the process and let someone else have a chance who maybe really, really wanted to be in this particular location. And I start to see that, you know, it's one thing, the way I've told clubs over the years, you know, we're all free agents. Contracts, contracts are a bunch of hooey. I don't care what anybody in the industry says. You've got to have a contract. I worked for the best lawyers in the planet when I was with the USGA, and their philosophy was all contracts are as good as the paper they're printed on. If you have a contract, we can uncontract it. So that's a bunch of hooey. But, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about coming to a new event. You've, you've taken the club's time. You've taken their money a couple of times to come out for an interview or a course visit. And then turn around and say, no, I, I've had that happen where during the process, superintendents have withdrawn. And I get that. Okay. That's why we have multiple candidates because, you know, you're sorry to break the news to you, Matt, but you're not the only one interested in this job. We will find somebody. Uh, we were hoping we had a good fit to start with, but we will find somebody. Uh, I would rather, again, the superintendent say, you know, I came out here on my own dime, looked around and, you know, maybe it isn't for me. Good. Then we don't have any hard feelings. We move forward, and everybody wins in the end. That's my goal, is everybody wins. I'm not in it for me. I'm in it for you to get a better job, a club to get someone that they really can enjoy having around after uh, uh, their former guy either retired or left or they had some professional disagreement that they had to change paths. I just want to make it a win-win, but I just don't like leading people along with the hope of you're going to be here, you're ready to go, and, and the club in question had several construction projects ready to get going. They had a timeline that they wanted to get someone on board by a specific date so that they could accomplish what they were looking to do this fall and again next spring. Mm -hmm. So all that now is is kind of thrown in the blender, and it's up in the air again. And like you said, unfair to the club and unfair to all the other folks who might have been in that next round of interviews who could have been brought in or, or were brought in and cast aside, and they go back, maybe they go to another club, maybe they re-up with their current club like you said contracts only worth the paper it's printed on but you know they move on mentally and and physically and then everybody's in a bind you know i mean everybody what i what i really enjoy about our constituency is there there's a no quit you know fight to the to the end mentality where they can you ask any superintendent yeah i can do this no matter where it is this is what i'm trained for this is what i'm good at my job and those of my competitors should be to find the right fit for the right club, you know, so everybody's happy. And that's the ultimate goal. But I, and, and sometimes, and if you're not ready, usually I have anywhere from 25 to 225 resumes, depending on the job and interest, because they want to change. And I'd rather have someone that really, really wants to be at a club that really, really wants to work for you as an owner or you as a president of a club or whatever, 
than someone that's like, eh, you know what, I, I don't know. I'm going to be a little wishy-washy here and change my mind. I love that you pointed out, what was the what was the one of the last piles, 200, 225 resumes? Is that about average oh, yeah. right now? I, I think the most they ever had was, was well, for one search, I think we probably were about 240 resumes wow. from every level of person. And, you know, I apologize to the industry because I used to try to send thank you notes, but sometimes it's just way too much. And, and I appreciate everybody's interest, but I apologize if, you know, you think I'm a self-centered snot for not replying, but it, it does take a lot of time. And it's not that you're a bad person or you couldn't do the job. It's just trying to fit the right piece in, into the right part of the puzzle. That's a lot of thank you, no thank you cards to, to send out. Yeah, it is. It is. Tim, what else should superintendents think about uh, before sending out those resumes uh, this job hunting season, next job hunting season, whenever they're going from their current position to their next? Well, I think the resume itself, got to be honest, accurate, concise, and to the point. There can't be any gaps between dates. Uh, if you're a more mature seasoned superintendent, I don't even know you You were a second intern at Ball Straw in 1985 when you first got out of Rutgers University Turf Program. You know, I don't need to know that. I just need maybe your last 10 years. Uh, I think with all the, the volume of information that's out in society today with everything that you can click on and read and study and search for, committee members who are taking their time away from their normal jobs to do this process don't want to be overloaded with too much reading information. You know, there's a way to do a resume to be concise, you know, highlight the eye candy stops and the things that you're proud of. But, you know, I don't want to get a 50-page portfolio that shows me how you break bunkers and rebuild greens. I mean, if it's important to the project, yes, but we, we just can't overburden the committee with unnecessary literature sometimes. So be concise. I'm not, and everybody knows this, I mean, I'm not uh, Ernest Hemingway when it comes to writing. I, you know, My lovely wife is a really great writer. She helps uh, calm me down sometimes. But um, the question you need to ask is, you know, what's your point? What's your point of your resume? If you're going to do a short portfolio and you have pictures, the pictures better be up close. Get get close. Get down. And, and as Jim Snow always said, no butt shots. Uh, make sure the picture is exactly what you're describing and don't make people have to look at the thing and go, what the hell is he talking about? You know, that type of thing. Uh, grammar. Uh, when I, I did, the first time I did the Los Angeles Country Club, uh, Dr. Arthur Rice was the chair of the search committee and super intelligent guy, actually secretary of the Air Force at one point in his career. And we've got great candidates. I mean, we've got just a who's who after Bruce Williams stepped down. And Dr. Rice came over to me with your resume. He said, I've been looking at Matt's resume, and here on page nine, shouldn't there be a comma here? And I'm like, you got to be kidding me with this stuff. But that's what I mean. You know, get it accurate, get it proofed, be concise. Everybody's got a certain GCSA, turf schools, outside consultants, whatever, have a certain way to do a resume. But I have found, depending on where you are, I'll tell you in the Southeast, because of SEC football, everybody wants to know where you went to college. <laughs> you know, if you're not putting Clemson up there or Georgia or NC State or whatever, Mississippi State, they're going to they're gonna give you some stuff. And it's fun. And that what makes the interview process fun. And it's a good way to break the nerves and get people talking. 
the one thing an interviewee must do is have a conversation with those in the room. Don't sit there like a bump on a log and wait for questions. You know, commit to a dialogue, participate, answer questions, and then ask questions. You know, it's a two-way street in the interview process, and you must ask questions and take notes. Everybody's afraid to take notes. Well, you can't remember all that stuff, and if you don't interview, I mean, I tell all the people that come from my career coaching, and I say, listen, I have to interview for every job I get now, and it's not fun. It's, it's nerve-wracking. Nerve you have to be on top of your game all the time because you're competing with other really smart people for this job got to have a conversation, you got to take notes, and you got to participate. And there's just a certain way to interact with people now more than there ever has been. And the more you interact, interact, the more successful you will be. That interaction, the two-way dialogue, it seems so simple, and it seems like something that people should know, but this is a job that it seems like you want, you have applied for it, you've come out, you would think that you have lots of questions about the course. So. Just come prepared with those, right? Well, you can have your own course questions. If you get a course tour, you know, you're going to ask, they're going to ask you, do you have any questions of us? And you damn well better have Mm -hmm. a bunch of questions. I mean, you can ask anything. If they don't want to make the answer public knowledge, it'll be just like Maverick Top Gun. That's a negative ghostwriter. It's not going to happen. You know, the pattern's full. And then we move on to the next question. But you've got to have questions. You've got to ask. You have to have a conversation. You have to show you more than growing grass. So if people only take two things from it, bring your family, have questions. Exactly. And God gave you one pie hole and two ears for a reason. And that's <laughs> to shut up and listen. And if your pie hole's flapping too much, you're going to miss something. And more than anything, I watch and I teach, do not answer the question until it's asked completely. No one likes to be given an answer until they ask their question. Sound advice. I have a six-year-old. I just used the two ears, one mouth line on her. I think it was about two weeks ago because she doesn't always listen. So it, it's a timeless line. It is. I mean, my dad, I, I miss him dearly. Every been gone a long time. But the older I get, the smarter he becomes. <laughs> and, you know, I remember when I first started with the USGA, he basically told me exactly that. You're going to be around really great people, really smart people in the game of golf. Shut up and listen. So I tried the best I could. Great advice for job hunting 101. Hopefully a lot of people listening to this, if not this year, then in coming years, if they want to change, uh, use some of these bits of advice from your column from this podcast uh, to get them their next position. I hope so. Before I let you go, Tim, two real quick questions. You wrote your August column, Firm and Fast, Gone at Last, uh, inspired by conditions at the Open earlier this summer. I have to ask, do you think most superintendents not tending to uh, television tournament specifications will finally, finally, finally move on from what you so eloquently described as, quote, burnt toast? <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a little tired of that. I, as I said, you know, all that's going to do is chase them from the golf course to the pickleball court real, real quickly. I just don't get the – I mean, listen, St. Andrews, my favorite spot in the whole world was in the middle of a drought, uh, knowing their golf course has probably been is is outdated in some respects to today's game because they're they're kind of hidden in the the dunes there. They can't go much further back until something's done about 
not so much the golf ball. I think that's an invalid argument. I think it's the golf shaft that needs to be reviewed more than the golf ball, but that's a discussion for another time. Uh, I, I just am tired of seeing the burnt down crisp greens wilting on Sunday afternoon. I just feel at this stage and what we're trying to do in our game has taken it to a level that people are going to find it that it's way too hard for them to compete on and the game for the higher handicap and for most of us should be fun. Uh, we're not playing playing the open on a regular basis. Uh, I think we're out there to enjoy ourselves. You want to get tested and you're a decent player, then go participate in tournaments where they have that condition on a regular basis because that's tournament golf. Uh, translating it to day-to-day -day play, I think at this stage of the game is, is just wrong. Uh, that whole concept of, of back in the day with the UJ that brown is the new green, well, we saw how effective that was at Pebble Beach and Marion and Pinehurst and Chambers Bay. And then, then again, with all the great people and equipment that they had for the 2018 Open at Shinnecock, uh, we witnessed the public apology on Saturday afternoon. So I just think that's a really most clubs, most members, most staffs, most superintendents aren't equipped to deliver those kinds of conditions. And if the, you know, the membership is forcing them to do so without the budget, the equipment, and the staff, then the members need to have the head examined. You also wrote in that same column, well-struck shots, bouncing off putting surfaces is going to bounce these new golfers right onto pickleball courts. It's a great line, but I have to ask, fastest-growing sport in America, Tim, when was the last time you played a game of pickleball? Well, I'm ready to go. Uh, I, 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 I've been watching the professional pickleball, so whatever it is, on cable, uh, and I am into this. I can't wait to get started. You're in. I am going to be all over pickleball. Wow. Here must be. Uh, my neighbor, uh, my, my next-door neighbor is into it already. We had dinner last uh, weekend. We'll neighborly get-together, and he said, when are you coming? I said, Steve, I said, I'm ready to go. This looks like a sport that I'm going to have fun at. Hopefully I'm halfway decent at it because I'm ready to give her a try. It looks like a smash and blast time as far as I'm concerned. I have to say I am genuinely shocked. I did not think you would embrace pickleball. Wow. Hey, it's hand-eye coordination. I'm an old yeah. fart. I got to move around somehow. <laughs> and this might be, you know, this might be a great way to blow out my other knee and go through the whole reconstructive process there, just like I did several years ago on the other knee. You know, but it looks like it's a lot of fun. It's just one more thing to get moving and get outside. Actually, Karen, uh, her high school friends, and she she was up visiting them last year, and uh, one of her dear friends came and visited us here in the on, on Hilton Head over the winter. And Kim is all over it. I mean, she was so enthusiastic. I want to get a racket and go play right then. So I'm going to give it a whack, see what happens. Well, if we're ever in the same spot and we both have a paddle, I'll play with you. Just remember, easy to learn, hard to master, stay out of the kitchen. <laughs> well, that's kind of like golf. Yeah. You know, it's easy to learn. You'll never master it. you got to stay, stay out of where you don't belong. But I, I yeah, the whole terminology thing, kind of, I started laughing at all that. That was great. But because I, I, you know, back in the day, I was a pretty good tennis player, so I kind of the whole racket sport thing is is intriguing to me. So I'm I'm in. Tim Morgan writes the outside the ropes column. You can read it every month in the magazine. You can read it online at www.golfcourseindustry.com/magazine. Tim, thanks so much for coming on. Always great to talk with you. Thank you very much for having me, and and I thank everybody out there for 
what they do, who they are, and what they're dedicated for, and that's the betterment of the game of golf. So I thank them immensely and endlessly. Thanks again to Tim Morgan for taking some time to go beyond the page. Always great to talk with him. Thanks to our sponsor, CPRO, which provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass, Legacy, and Musketeer to the golf industry, along with Disease, Weed, and Aquatic Management Solutions, whose full lineup of products works hard to ensure that your course is consistently looking its best, and who is always available online at cpro.com, S-E-P-R-O.com. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening to all the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. New episodes of Off the Course, Greens with Envy, Tartan Talks, and Beyond the Page drop on Tuesdays. Real Turf Techs with Trent Manning drops on the third Wednesday of each month. And Wonderful Women of Golf with Rick Wolfel drops on the first Thursday of each month. Our September issue is online now at www.golfcourseindustry.com magazine. I wrote a very long, very large cover package about my two-week road trip driving around half the country to nine-hole golf courses, found some incredible folks, wrote a lot of words. There's a lot of other fantastic stories and columns in the magazine. There's a great feature by Judd Spicer about golf in Minnesota. Guy Cipriano has an incredible story about one of the more unique short courses anywhere in this country. Cassidy Gladio writes about turf fashion, but practical turf fashion, a story that you probably have not read before. Even more stories and news are available in our fast and firm email newsletter that's delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. You can sign up directly on our homepage at www.golfcourseindustry.com. Golf Course Industry is produced by Guy Cipriano and me, Matt Lowell. Our columnists are wonderful. You know them by now, I hope. Terry Buchan, Henry DeLosier, Bradley S. Klein, You heard him for a half an hour today, and what a treat it was, Tim Morgan and Matthew Wharton. We have some fantastic regular contributors. You know them as well. Trent Bouts, Tyler Bloom, Lee Carr, Ron Furlong, Cassidy Gladio, Trent Manning, Judd Spicer, John Torsiello, Anthony Williams, and Rick Wolfel. Our publisher is Dave Zai. Russ Warner and Jimmy Clark handle sales. Jim Blaney designs the magazine. Caitlin Sellers and Amanda Cafardi make sure everything goes where it should. Christina Warner makes sure you all receive the magazine. Kelly Antle makes sure we all get paid. Irene Sweeney does more than anybody in this building knows, including me. Ryan Jacobs, Anna Matthews, Cody Minnick, Tom Bauman, Brock Andorada, and Patrick Briand are our IT team. Our president is Chris Foster. Above all else, we could not do what we do without every single one of you reading, listening, engaging on social media. Thank you.